Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Uh, this morning we'll be in Psalm 119, starting off a series called Stop Loafing, Start Reading. All right, and you'll understand that when we get into the message itself. So Psalm 119 is where we'll be. Let's pray, and we'll get into God's Word together. Fathers, we come uh, just once again expectant of what you're going to do in our lives and what you're going to do as we endeavor to, to, to hear from you, Lord, to hear from your Word. I know personally, Lord, how you have transformed my life by putting my, my face in the pages of your Word. Lord, I'm so thankful. I can't imagine life without your word. And I know so many around the world still don't have it in their own language. So, Lord, today uh, we're just thankful. I pray that you do um, encourage people, draw them to yourself in the pages of your word. I pray that it would not be a closed book to them, that as they've given you their very lives, they would give their eyes to your word and their ears to your voice to hear and be instructed by you. So, Lord, I pray that uh, this morning we would be um, just blessed, blessed in the reading of your word. It's in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. So I mentioned that the title of this series, and the series will continue uh, from tonight, or from this morning to Wednesday night, and then Warren will be preaching while we go away uh, to Florida for vacation at the beginning of the new year. So Warren McIver will be filling the pulpit next week and he'll be continuing this little mini-series on the Word of God, which I am calling Stop Loafing and Start Reading. The reason is because Jesus, when he is in Matthew chapter 4, tempted by the devil in the wilderness, he's been fasting 40 days, and that's when Satan comes to him. Satan doesn't come to you when you're strong. He comes to you when you're weak. He comes to you all the time, but especially when you're weak, when you're vulnerable at an opportune time. And he says to Jesus, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus' answer is, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he quotes right out of Deuteronomy chapter 8. That wasn't his, those were not his original words. And, well, I mean, he is the word, but you know what I'm saying. He's quoting right out of Deuteronomy. Man does not live by bread alone but by every word of God. And so we have these physical bodies that are corruptible, that are temporary, and we feed them. We take good care of them, don't we? We make sure we don't miss a meal. I know I used to have food fits when I was uh, at, at maybe teenager in college. And if I missed a meal, I would like not be friendly, not be good to be around. I, liked, I had to have my meals. And uh, so we, we take care of these bodies. We feed them. And God has designed us, for some reason, to need food regularly. Now, he could have designed us to eat once a year, or not at all. But God made our bodies to have a craving for food when we get hungry, and sometimes when we get bored, that's when we have those cravings for food, and we go to the fridge and we feed our body. And we can't imagine skipping a meal. So we, we, and we know we need food to nourish us and to grow and to be strong and healthy. But spiritually, what feeds you? What is our spiritual food? It's the Word of God. Clearly, spiritual food is the Word of God. So although physically we have one uh, care for the body, spiritually, how are we caring for our spirit? And the question is, are you reading God's Word for yourself? Now, there's a lot of reasons not to. A lot of, uh, you know, some people can't read. There was a, there was a man who was in an accident, a construction-type accident. Actually, something had blown up 
in his face and had burned his, his face, including his lips. And this is shared in a, in a book that was written. And so um, he was a fairly new believer. And uh, it burned, burned his face and it is, he was um, uh, unable to read. He was blind and, and um, desperately wanting to read God's word. So he learned Braille. And he tried to read the Braille with his lips, but his lips were even too insensitive. So guess what he used to read the Bible? He learned that he could read the Braille with his tongue. And he read the whole Bible through using his tongue to read the Braille. When a person is motivated to hear from God, they will find any means necessary to seek that out. We, we do, we, we make time for the things we feel are important. So as we're getting in and encouraging you guys to read the Bible, uh, we're gonna, this is not a very typical sermon for me. We are going to look at Psalm 119, but I have a few, some videos and some other information I want to share with you all. And I, I hope what you don't go away from this message with is, is a feeling of condemnation or discouragement. That would be the opposite of my hope. My hope is that you go away from this challenged or encouraged or empowered to read God's word for yourself. Because without spiritual nutrition, you are destined to fail in your Christian walk. Listen to what the Bible says about the Bible, about the word of God. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. Ephesians 6 reminds us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So Satan, remember, our battle is not with flesh and blood but with powers and, and principalities and the powers of darkness. So what Satan's tactic is for you is to get you so busy in your life you don't have time to read the Bible. Then you are, the, the, the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It is our, our tool not of defensiveness but offensiveness. And so if you are to succeed in spiritual battles, you must know the Word of God for yourself. You must. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-inspired and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God can be fully equipped for every good work. You cannot be equipped for any work of ministry unless you have a knowledge of the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4, Paul reminds Timothy to continue to give attention to reading because some people are illiterate, especially in those days. Some people, they can't read. And so in, in the early church, they would come and the Bible would be read to them. They would meet almost daily. And the pastor's job, preach the word. Read the Bible to the people. Let them hear what God has to say. And they received it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the very word of God. And that's why we at Calvary Chapel, that's why I personally have made it my sort of vow to God. We will go through the entire Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Because I know that I need it. And I know that you need it for my spiritual health. And for you need it for your spiritual health. You see, a lot of people say, well, I pray, I talk to God. But my question is, does God talk to you? And how do you know it's God talking to you? Sometimes God uses other people, but the most often in my life, he uses his word to speak to me. So the big problem we face is a problem of, of biblical ignorance. Not just that people are ignorant of the Bible, but people ignore the Bible. And let me read this article I found. America can be proud of many things. 
Our innovation, generosity, entrepreneurial spirit are unsurpassed. Yet when it comes to our nation, understanding one of the greatest gifts ever given to humanity, the Bible, we're moving from dumb to dumber, and it's no laughing matter. The Bible's impact on American culture is unmistakable. It has shaped our laws, social systems, and even language. People unknowingly quote biblical phrases every day. It's a tragedy so many have used the phrases, such as the Good Samaritan, you reap what you sow and do unto others, but do, do, uh, do not actually know the scriptures or the Savior to which they point. Study after study in the last quarter century has revealed that American Christians increasingly don't read their Bibles, don't engage their Bibles, and don't know their Bibles. The problem, he points out, is not just in a general sense the Bible, or in a specific sense the Bible, but is in a general sense literacy. Now, researchers tell us that 23% of us didn't read a single book last year. That's three times the number that didn't read a book in 1978. The problem, we've got the internet, we've got video games, we've got TV, we've got increased time spent on sports, entertainment, and so uh, fewer Americans are doing any kind of reading, let alone reading the Bible. So we're just a culture that's moving away even from, from reading in general. Uh, the problem isn't that we have no access. We have more access to the Bible now than we've ever had. You can download Bible apps. It's available on the internet. You can download sermons. We used to have CSN radio, which was wonderful, which was preaching all day long. Uh, I mean, there's any number of sources you can get, you can go to for the Bible or uh, biblical wisdom. So that's not the problem. The problem is, he says, simply put, we have a biblical literacy deficit because we have a spiritual maturity deficit. Plenty of research shows the correlation between spiritual maturity and reading the Bible. If you want spiritually mature Christians, get them reading the Bible. That's a statistical fact, but more importantly, it's a biblical truth. Most Christians desire maturity. Our research shows 90% of churchgoers agree with the statement, I desire to please and honor Jesus in all I do. Most of us desire to please Jesus, but few of us bother to check the Bible to find out what actually pleases Jesus. So again, these are hard truths, and I'm not trying to be condemning or, or anything like that. What I'm trying to do is, is get us to take a look at where we are personally because I enjoy pastoring Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna. I, I enjoy seeing what God is doing in your lives. And my greatest joy is helping to encourage us all into spiritual maturity, that we would grow up into the head, which is Jesus Christ. And that's a lifelong process, and it's impossible without the Word of God. In some way, written or listened to or read in Braille or however it is that you get it. Because God has revealed himself to us generally, hasn't he? I mean, we don't need the Bible to understand that God exists. There's a man named A.E. Wilder Smith, and he uh, has now gone to be with the Lord. He was, uh, had held three PhDs in the sciences. And he agrees with Romans chapter 1 that says God has revealed himself in his creation. Everything that has to be known about God on a general level can be known by just looking out the window, looking up in the sky and seeing the stars and the planets and going, well, how'd they get there? And looking at the trees and the fact that trees have seeds in them and the seeds have life in them for new trees and there's this perpetuation of life and life always comes from life. Well, where did it start? Where did these things come from? Now, the problem is in our day and age, we have developed an alternative answer to those questions that leaves God out of the equation. But for, throughout history, even in cultures that don't know or don't have Bibles, they can see the things around them and, and they know that there is some uh, type of God or some, some type of uh, originator 
some first cause of all these things. So God's revealed himself generally, but when you look into his word, when you start to read the Bible, you realize God has revealed some specific things about himself that we would never have known about him had he not told us. We may have misunderstood things about him, and and many people do. But all the things that are revealed in the pages of God's word, some challenging, some confusing. I'll be the first to admit that, but so many of them blessing. So the problem of biblical ignorance would mean that, statistically speaking, in a room of about 250 people, I'm not sure how many are here this morning, but about 250, uh, percentage-wise, 47 of those people would read the Bible daily. 65 would read a few times a week. That would be the largest group. 35 would read the Bible once a week. 55 would read it once a month. And 45 would not read the Bible at all in a room of 250. So that means about as, for every person in here that's reading the Bible daily, there's someone that's not reading it at all. Uh, I have a slide up there I want to, Vince, could you pull up the first slide, uh, the Hendricks book? I want to have a a book that I want to encourage you guys to write down if you're interested in reading the Bible or interested in leading your family in devotions, but you feel ill-equipped to do so. You don't, you know, you open the Bible and you're not sure how to, to approach it, then I want to encourage you to get this book. It's called Living by the Book by Howard Hendricks. For those of you football fans in here, you'd like to know that Howard Hendricks uh, was in his day a, on the staff at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, what does that have to do with football? That has to do with the fact that Howard Hendricks was the chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys football team. So now the guys are going, oh, what's that guy's name again? Write that down. Get that book. I would highly suggest it. It's a very practical, easy-to-read encouragement in, in reading the Bible. Now, the challenge is that we face is we, we have the Bible. We know it's there. We know it's important. But yet, many of us continue to ignore what's in the pages. And one man said this, a Bible not read is like a bulb not lighted. Only insane people will love to work in the darkness when there's a light right there that's not switched on. I thought that was a great illustration, a great quote. And truly, I think that's true. It's insane to continue to, to limp around and stumble around in the darkness when the light is right there. All we need to do is turn it on. All we need to do is get into it. So my own personal testimony, some of you have heard this before, but God's Word has been so important and essential to my life. When I first got saved in a parking lot in Charlottesville about 19 years ago, I knew nothing. I found everything I thought I knew, I found out was wrong. I'd been, you know, not, not the, not, we're not talking about facts. You understand that. We're not talking about simple facts and observations. We're talking about the things that, that life is made of, the deep things of life, things that, that, that are important. And I had been living by the wrong set of ideals and understanding life by the, the, under, according to the wrong life map. And so I was hungry to, to read the Bible, in it, but it was a closed book to me. I couldn't understand it. I'd try to read it, and I'd read the first five chapters, and I'd get frustrated and put it down. So I, went, I had to find someone that could help me. So I went to a men's Bible study. And at that men's Bible study, we opened the Bible together week after week, and all of a sudden, it's like the scales from my eyes began to fall off. Anybody else had that experience? Where just, and you start to see and understand God's Word for, for what it is. And I realized God 
wanted me to, to learn, wanted to teach me something about himself, about myself, about the world I live in, about what's important, about what's not important, all of these things. As I got, I, I would, 20 years, 19 years, I've been studying and reading God's Word before I was Pastor Steve. I was just an average person like, like anybody in here. I still am. I just have to get up and talk about it, which is a lot of pressure. <laughs> but it's so easy to do because God's Word is so good. When people say, hey, Steve, good sermon. I say, man, how could you? Ma-? It's God's Word. It's all good. It's all good. So for that time, just been studying, reading God's Word. It's been so good. Blessing to me, blessing to my family. Uh, I hope that, that it, and I know that it's brought some amazing transformation into my life. And so that's why, as we get into the new year, I don't know where, where each of you are with your own personal encountering of God's Word, but I want to challenge you to think about it. And, and I want to show you that it's not, it doesn't have to be a labor or a drudgery. I want to show you the joy. If we can pull up the next video... This is a group of people from Indonesia called the Kimmel people. And, uh, no, that's living by the book. The Kimmel, there we go. The Kimmel people. And, and so the first video is just one minute, and it shows their, their background back in the 1960s. And then the second video will show in, in 2010 when they received the Bible for the first time in their own language. I've got, before we move off of the video, I've got one more... Uh, picture to show you if you could pull up the picture of William Tyndale William Tyndale uh, was born in the late 1400s and lived into the 1500s he was um, Oxford educated and uh, ended up dying uh, being killed actually having been brand branded a heretic by the church and uh, he was strangled and then his body was burned publicly Do you know what his crime was? Translating the Bible into English. So that, because what he was rejecting was the corruption uh, in the clergy, with the scriptures only being in Latin, the average person couldn't have access to them. The average person couldn't read the Bible. And the the clergy had become very corrupt and had kept the word of God from the people. And the word of God brings freedom. And when people want to control other people they withhold knowledge withhold understanding and so the greatest thing that we have the freedom of being able to open god's word and to read it in our own language for ourselves not to rely on somebody else to have to give it to us was a gift that he gave his life for that was his crime translating the bible and the quote there has to do with um when he began to to feel this feeling of of desiring to to have the bible be able to be read and, and by the common person, uh, they really, the church came down very hard on him and he uh, made that statement that he would see to it that a young uh, plow boy would know more of God's word than, uh, than a clergy person did. And, and he did that by bringing the Bible into the English language so the common person uh, could read it. The, the view of the clergy was that the, the common person, the common sinful person should not have the Bible, uh, ac- not have access to understanding and reading the Bible for themselves. So Tyndale gave his life along with many, many others that have given their lives so we can have God's Word in our own language. Okay, lights can come back up. Now, I do a lot of counseling as a pastor, and I see a lot of broken lives, and uh, I see a lot of broken relationships, and a lot of people really uh, hurting and struggling. And when I meet with them in counseling, a lot of times the first question I'll ask is, Tell me about your personal devotional life. 
And nine times out of ten, there isn't one. And I say, there's the problem. Because if you would let God speak to you, you wouldn't need me. God can speak to you directly. Now, occasionally there are times, certainly, when, you know, someone who has some biblical knowledge, who does know God's Word, just comes to, to seek advice or counsel from someone they trust and to get into God's Word together and go, oh, I'm trying to figure out what God is saying to me in this season of my life. And, and there's certainly a place and an appropriateness for that. But generally speaking, the, the, as they say, a, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to a person that is not. And I think, and I've found that that's very very true. And so my hope is that through this study, you guys are being encouraged to get into the Word for yourselves and let God continue to transform your life and and work in your life by the steady teaching of His Word. So we're in Psalm 119, so let's go. We're just going to look at one section after a, a bit of an introduction. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter of the Bible. Those of you that like to to answer trivial pursuit questions and jeopardy questions what is the longest chapter of the bible it is psalm 119 the shortest one is psalm 117 just two psalms previous the exact middle of your bible is psalm 118 just all the factual stuff i won't charge you for any of that that's all free psalm 118 verse 8 by the way is the middle of the bible psalm 119 um it's interesting because there's no author listed. So a lot of the Psalms will say a Psalm of David or you know, a, psalm, a Psalm of the sons of Korah. But there's no author listed. Most people have just taken it to be uh, authored by David, who authored many of the Psalms. It doesn't, there's no title for the Psalm. So people have offered their own titles. One uh, commentator offered this title, The Christian's Golden ABC of the Praise, Love, Power, and Use of the Word of God. Is the longest chapter in the Bible, and the topic completely and thoroughly is the Word of God. And I think that's significant, that of all the chapters in the Bible, God picks the longest one to be the chapter on uh, the blessings of reading God's Word. And it's divided up, interestingly, in that it's, a, it's an alphabetically based poem, really, uh, or song. So there are 22 sections. And each section has eight verses. That's where we get 176 verses, 22 times eight. So every section, all of the eight verses begin with the same letter of the alphabet, of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the first section is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. And so every, all of the eight verses all begin with the letter A. And then so on B and, and on through the, the Hebrew alphabet all the way to the end. So it's easily memorized by someone who wants to do that. If you're a Hebrew child learning about God's Word, this is a great one to memorize. And many people have memorized it in all kinds of languages. Some of the things you'll see repeated, uh, revive me. Isn't that something we all pray about? We want to see revival? You, you do understand that revival in the church, revival in the nation, begins with revival in my life. And please don't pray for revival and ignore your Bible. If you're going to pray for revival, let it start with you. And so the psalmist here, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in this, in this psalm says, revive me. That's his desire. That's what he wants. He wants to be 
revived. Uh, this morning I woke up, we have a, a wood stove that we heat the house with, and so we pack it at night and turn it down, and it burns low all night. In the morning, I have to get up and take whatever embers are left in the stove. I gather them together, and I put some kindling on it, and I blow on it, and I revive the fire. And, and that, to me, that's a great picture. Sometimes that, that's maybe what happened in your life, that there was a day when you were burning brightly and strongly, and, and you were hot for the Lord. But over time, the, the fire's burnt down, it's gotten cold, and you pick up God's Word, and, and that fire begins to get rekindled. You put fresh kindling on it, and the Spirit of God blows on that, brings the, the breath of God into that, and, and all those things in conjunction with one another are, are, begin to revive a person. Also, the word delight seven times. No, eight times. Sorry, the word delight eight times. The word whole heart six times. And the word meditate seven times. And again, I think only two, three of the verses don't mention something about the word of God or his testimonies or his commandments. So it's clear what this psalm is about, and it is fantastic. I mean, as I just go through, look at some of the things I've had, I have underlined. I mean, look at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way, assuming that he wants to? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are you struggling with sin? Hide God's word in your heart. Look down at verse 18. This is my regular prayer when I sit down to teach or to, to, to read God's word for myself. Verse 18 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I know they're in there. And I pray God would open my eyes to see them. And, and on and on we can go. Many of you know verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's, many of you probably have that memorized. But for, the, for our remaining time, the last 10 minutes or so, I want to just focus on verses 97 through 104. The letter M, uh, as we would say in English, or Mem in Hebrew, begins with this. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not desired to depart, uh, de or, excuse me, I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. And that is just one section, and over and over again in this beautiful psalm, our exhortations, encouragements, reminders about the blessing of reading God's Word. If you are not reading God's Word and you have access to Bibles, then you are missing out on one of the greatest treasures to be found on planet Earth. It is so true. God's Word has certainly transformed my life as I've given myself to the reading of it over the years. So he begins out in verse 97, uh, this section, with, Oh, how I love your law. Now, that's great, and I wonder if any, anybody in here could say that. Or, and, and even if you could say that, I wonder if your life would demonstrate that. Because you could say, oh, I just so much love God's Word. Well, how often do you read it? Well, I don't really read it. Well, then I would question, do you really love it? 
Because the interesting thing I, I find about this is he says, oh, how I love your law. Now, don't get thrown off by the word law. If you like to, you can circle that. And right next to that, instruction and revelation. Instruction, revelation. Those are the two words. That's what the Hebrew word law means. It's the word Torah in Hebrew that gives its name to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. But it simply means instruction or revelation. It's how God's revealed himself and the things that he's instructed us in, how God has taught us and the, the, the things that he is teaching us. And what I find interesting about this is he can say, I love your law, I love your instruction, because I think he was instructable. I think he wanted to learn. That's the first place to start if, if, to get into God's word is because you want to learn. If you already know it all, we can't help you. God can't help you. But when you come hungry, when you come say, I know I have so much to learn. And I've heard what these people had to say and what those people had to say. And what, Look, you get into reading what God's Word says and you know it's a spiritual book. Part of, because it, the things it says are so counterintuitive. Love your enemies? My friends tell me, Hate your, get back at your enemies. But the Word of God says, love your enemies. I mean, this is... This is uh, contradictory and yet the psalmist says uh, and he didn't have the new testament he's just talking about the old testament he's writing it and he says oh how i love your instruction it is my meditation all the day seven times in this psalm he talks about his meditation this, about the word meditation that these are the things that he is chewing on all day long what you think about what you put in is what you think about, which is what comes out. What you put in is what you turn over, which is what comes out. And people get their minds so focused and so in a rut on such useless and worthless things. Thinking about conquering the next level in my video game. That is a virtual reality. It is a lie. It's a fantasy. And it, it, you, you become an expert in nothing. And think about the time. Look, I, I grew up, I was a video game generation, man. I could, I could beat some asteroids and some Pac-Man, right? All of which I have nothing to show for it. <laughs> you know, for a time you get the high score or whatever. And, and I, you know, look, I'm not condemning, and I hope you understand. I'm not condemning you, because I, I, I still, we have a Wii at home, and I'll play a video game now and then. But if that's what you give your life to, then I won't be surprised to see you in my office going, I need help. Because your video games ain't going to help you with reality. And your Facebook page isn't going to help you with reality. And, and all the other social media is not going to help you with reality. God's word will help you with the reality of your life and your relationships. And that's why the psalmist, knowing what God's word has meant to him, knowing, having followed it, having responded to it, having read it, having put it into practice in his life, he says, oh, how I love your law. And you will do the same thing, I guarantee you, when you begin to put these things into practice. It's my meditation. It's the thing. God's word, God's revelation is the thing I think about all day. Verse 98, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. I like that. I want to be wiser than my enemies. He goes on to say, wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Now, I'm not sure what he means. Does he mean the enemies are ever with him? Or does he mean the commandments are ever with him? They're probably both true. 
And that's why it's good news. We have God's commandments, the things. He says, Steve, he doesn't say God's feelings. He doesn't say, Steve, just do this if you feel like it. These are my, my ten good suggestions for you. There are things in the Bible that you are commanded to do. And a command you either follow or don't follow. Some of you have been in the military. Maybe some of you are in the military now. If you get a command, you don't say, oh, you know, I, I, today, today is not a good day for me to do that. You know, I'd love to, but check back with me tomorrow. No, you do it because a higher authority has commanded you to do it. But think about the commandments in God's word. They're not burdensome. What's the commandment? Love God with all your whole heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and we read in, in 1 John, and these commandments are not burdensome. They're not a burden to love somebody. And so when it comes to his enemies, he doesn't say, make me stronger than my enemies. He says, I want to be wiser. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Because they're always, my enemies are always going to be there. And guess what? So is your word. And I'm wiser. I'm not going to fall into the same trap that they want to put me in. I'm not going to, to, to lower myself to their level. Verse 99. Now the kids are going to love this one. The youngsters in here. Teenagers, college kids. I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. So we see all these synonyms, uh, commandments, uh, law, testimonies. God's testimony is what he says is true and not true. You know, when you're in your court of, court of law, you, come, you bear witness, you give your testimony. That's, what, that's things as you see them, as you have experienced them. So this is God's testimony. Here's, here's what I want you to know about what's true. And I like this. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Now, kids, don't use that against your high school teachers or your, your middle school teachers. Don't go in there and say, hey, I have more understanding than you. That you're going to get in trouble if you do that. But I will tell you this. Every collegiate institution founded in the colonies prior to the Revolutionary War, except the University of Pennsylvania, was established by some branch of the Christian church. In 1932, 92% of the 182 colleges and universities were founded by Christian denominations. The best-known example is Harvard, founded, quote, for the provision of a learned ministry, whose motto for three centuries was Christo et Ecclesia, for Christ and church. That was Harvard's motto. But scores of other institutions as well, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, Duke, Boston, and even some other uh, state universities such as Michigan and California, had a pronounced Christian character in the early years of their existence, and it has been abandoned in the 20th century. You see, if you have the wrong map, you can't get to the right destination. If you come with the wrong framework, if you come with the wrong um, frame of reference for life on earth and, and in the world, then you can't arrive at the right conclusion. If, you're a conclu if your beginning point is in the beginning, no God, there was no God, then you can't ever end up at the right ending point. No matter how many years of school you go to. Now, I'm not discounting, you know, basic understanding of uh, an observation and scientific experiment on the face of the earth. All we do is we study what's here. We study what we have in front of us. We all have the same observations. How we interpret them makes all the difference. And that's the difference between God and no God. So if you have a teacher that does not know God, all their interpretations of anything that they read or understand about society, about people, about science, about life, is all going to be from a godless perspective. And it will be ultimately 
incorrect. Because our interpretation and understanding is through, in the beginning, God created. And the Bible says, fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even start to get wise. All you can be is a wise guy. You can't even start to be wise until you know God's word. And some of you know, you know, what, what that wisdom that God has brought to you. So I have more understanding than my teachers. Not only that, the word of God gives more understanding than the ancients, verse 100. Because I keep your precepts. So even people that are older, without the word of God, may not necessarily know as much as some young folks who have God's word. There are some folks in this fellowship, some young, young guys and girls in this fellowship that are wise beyond their years because they've been growing up knowing God's word. And I know some people that are in their 60s and 70s and they're still idiots. And I, don't, I, and I say that, it, you know, bless their heart. <laughs> you don't have 30 years of experience. You got one year of experience 30 times. You're still making the same mistakes you were when you were 20. Still somehow trying to find meaning of life. And on the deathbed, they look back and go, I've, I've messed it all up. Because I've rejected God in my life. More understanding than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I've restrained my feet from, the, from evil, uh, every evil way, that I may keep your word. I've not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. So there's a correlation between sin and the word of God. The more you sin, the less you'll be interested in the, wor- the word of God. The more you're inter- interested in the word of God, the less you'll find yourself struggling with sin. It's a simple correlation. You're struggling with sin, get into the word. Period. You can't walk in the spirit and the flesh at the same time. And, and God will, he says, God, you've taught me, God. And then verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Man, God, and, and I hope you're there. I mean, some of you may be going, I don't, that's not my experience. God's word has not been palatable to me. And there may be a number of reasons, and I'm not going to go through all those reasons today. Come Wednesday night, we'll talk about those things. But I'll tell you this, that when you come to God's word with a desire to learn and you begin to meditate on it, begin to apply it in your life, you will absolutely discover, just as the psalmist did, that God's word is so sweet. It is, there's some tough parts, right? I mean, I'm a human being. I read this and I go, that's confusing. I'll understand that. Or, or that's challenging. It'll be bitter to you. If you're, if you're bent on being your own God and you want to keep your own way and you want to do your own thing, then you read God's word and where God opposes you, you'll be mad at God. But when you come and you submit yourself and you yield yourself to God and you read his word from that perspective, man, so sweet. 20 years reading God's word. Love it. Every bit. Verse 104, through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Man, I know that in my life. Every time I mess up, man, I hate that. And the word of God is clear. We'll, there's a transformation that is happening in our lives. He's begun a good work in us. He will bring it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So we're not all at once, whoom, perfect. So we're working this stuff out in our lives. And, and God's word is a huge part of that. And so I hope that over the next few weeks, this uh, really begins, again, not to condemn. And I hope if you're feeling condemned, come see me. Uh, we'll talk personally about it. And, and, uh, and I want to just encourage you in, um, 
in the reading of God's Word. And I think there's a lot of people in here that could say, you know, amen to the years of, of reading and studying God's Word and what that has done and brought into their lives. Is that, is that true? Amen. And some of you are just getting started in, in your Christian life. Now look at Helen, just, just baptized this last year and, and just getting into God's Word and uh, seeing all the, the treasure that is there. Pick up a bookmark, uh, find a reading guide, uh, do whatever it takes. And if you're sitting here going, you know, I just don't have the desire, then pray that God would give you the desire to read his word. Sometimes we have to pray against our own will, right? Many of you know I didn't want to be a pastor. My heart was not in being a pastor. I love teaching Bible studies, but don't make me be a pastor. God snickered. <laughs> and I remember praying, you know, Lord, if you want me to pa- be a pastor, you have to change my heart. Because right now, I don't want to be a pastor. I want to keep working with horses. And you know what happened? God changed my heart. And, that, and I couldn't think about being with horses. I just want to be with sheep all the time. My point is, be careful what you pray for. Because if you, if you really want to, if you sit here today and you go, I hear you, Pastor. I know I need to read God's Word, but I don't feel like it. Then you pray that God would overcome your feelings and give you the will and desire to read His Word. Because it is for your good. It is for your life. His Word gives understanding to the simple. It is a light to people that sit in darkness. It is beautiful, trustworthy, and faithful. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, that we have it in our language. We thank you for the lives that have been given, the blood of martyrs that's been shed, so we could read it in English. And we thank you for all those translating the Bible into uh, native tongues all over the world. And Lord, I specifically pray for those in here this morning, uh, now this afternoon, that would say, I know I need to read, Lord, but I don't have a desire. Father, I pray you would change their heart. That as they are obedient to open your word, you would begin to cultivate them in them a desire and a hunger for it. I pray for that hunger for all of us this next year, Lord, and on all the years after. It's in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Let's be-